Welcome back, everybody, to the Big Blue in the Bronx podcast. Be sure to hit that like button, comment, and subscribe. Do all the good stuff. Turn that notification bell on. Follow us on social media, Instagram, Twitter. I don't have Facebook, but that's all right. Uh, with me today is Paul Dettino. Uh, You can follow him, Giants WFAN, on Twitter. For the last two years, this is going to be the third year in a row, he's been doing these discussions with me. Uh Paul, obviously, you you kind of told me how things have been going a little haywire. How's your uh, how's your twenty twenty two so far? <laughs> it, it has been very hectic, from the time that the new front office came in and the new coaching staff came in, and then free agency, and now a a very much churning roster, which, in all honesty, continues to churn as we speak. Uh, the Giants are finally getting set for a Tennessee Titans game at 425 on Sunday. And may I say to you, that will actually be the most peaceful moment of the last couple of weeks. <laughs> That's this is an interesting comment, but I can see why you think that and say that. Um, let's get right into it here. And I'm going to ask a question that a lot of Giant fans have been wondering about. And uh, you, you could probably think of <clears throat> what that is. I'm going to start it off with the description and then the question at the end. Joe Shane made the move a couple of days ago to cut Blake Martinez. Many have said it was a mutual departure. In some cases, fans like myself feel it was a little bit of bad foresight because I'm pretty sure they could have cut him for more in March. Um, but everything with the cap has been tied up the last few weeks, and the Giants were going to enter the season under the cap if they didn't make a couple adjustments. And I'm pretty sure they still have to make some adjustments like Leonard Williams' contract, for example. Um, what are your thoughts on the situation and how far does this go in terms of how much confidence the coaching staff right now has in Austin Calitro, Cam Brown, Carter Coughlin, and also the ones who are probably going to be starting uh, next Sunday, Tay Crowder and Michael McFadden? They were extremely pleased with what McFadden did as a rookie during the preseason. I, I would venture to say they were not just pleased, but were pleasantly surprised. I think he exceeded their expectations. He was a real production machine uh, during those August games, and, and, and I think that made it a lot easier to part ways with Blake Martinez. Look, there are a lot of tentacles to the Blake Martinez story, so I'm not sure which ones you want me to address, but here's what I can say. The 2020 Blake Martinez, whether it be his physical capabilities today following ACL surgery uh, or it be um, his stature within the locker room or whether it be the fact that he probably would have been a two-down linebacker in Wink Martindale's scheme, all three of those things tied together really culminated in the move that they made the other day. Now, nobody has to like it, okay? It's fine for people to say, I don't like it. It's fine for people to say, I don't think it was the right thing to do. That's fine. I, I, I want people to understand, I try to deal with the facts as I know them. And I tell people all the time, every move that's made in the National Football League is like a prism. There are many, many angles that must be looked at. Very few of them are known to the public. Some of them are known to people like myself. Others will never be known. For example, I don't know what his GPS numbers were. 
you probably are aware that over the last few years, the NFL has now put scientific sensors on the players under their uniforms and shoulder pads during practice and training camp. Those sensors measure everything, whether it be flexibility, speed, acceleration, heart rate, uh, blood pressure, uh, lung capacity, fatigue, how much they sweat. It's all scientifically measured. There's a tremendous amount of data that is collected on every single player during practice and during training camp. From a perspective of, of me, I'm an outsider. I can't get that stuff. That's, that's, that's medical information. That's protected by privacy laws. But coaches can use that information as dictated by the medical staff and the trainers to say, look, we're telling you this player is not physically what he once was. They could tell you that. They could tell you if you need to pull back on practice because there are certain factors that are indicating danger signs. And they can also tell you how the player's rehab is going. And they can also tell you if the player has maxed out and is a shell of what he used to be and will never be the player that he was before a surgery. I'm just giving you the facts. Those are those are facts. Those are, are factual hypotheticals. I'm not telling you that's what happened with Blake Martinez. But you can't rule out the possibility that the GPS was another potential reason as to why they felt as though they could get along this season without him. And we will never know that answer because that's private information. But you have to understand, fans are emotional, and they're going to make their opinions based on emotion, not necessarily all the angles of the prism and all of the facts that are available because they're not available to all of us. So I've given you somewhat of an idea of, of behind-the-curtain stuff. I mean, the fact that you know his teammates did not see fit to vote him a co-captain also tells you that maybe his stature in the locker room and the intangible value that he brought to the Giants during his first two years in Big Blue's uniform were probably not the same anymore. You know, you, you have to look at all of the different angles and all of the values that he now brings as the 2022 edition instead of the 2020 edition. It's just the circumstances are different and the values are different. And that's why the Giants decided that they were able to move on. A lot of great points there, Paul. Um, one question about the linebacker position, and I didn't think he was originally going to make the roster. He's now a part of this linebacking core, and uh, he played a couple of years ago for Seattle. He's been bouncing around practice squads. Austin Calitro uh, had two interceptions. I was great. You know, I was excited to see one live at the Jets game, a few quarterback hits and tackles for a loss. Is his role going to mainly, in your opinion, be special teams, or will he get some playing time alongside McFadden and Crowder as that veteran now in that core? Well, I suspect that Crowder will be the most stable of the inside linebackers, but whether it's Calitro, whether it's McFadden, whether it's even Carter Coughlin getting some reps on the inside, I think that is going to be determined on a week-by-week -week basis how guys practice what the matchup is against that particular team on that particular weekend, and, of course, performance. Um, at some point in time, 
you may wind up seeing all three of those guys playing next to Crowder during the course of the regular season. It seems to me, though, that of the guys we just spoke of, Calitro probably has the least amount of range and is the most stout as an early down run stopper. Coughlin, a little bit more range, a little smaller, a little more athletic, and then even more so would be McFadden. So let that be your gauge as to how you might see them utilized depending upon the matchup. Yeah, and obviously you brought up that Calicho's probably the be- one of the best fits, or he is a best fit in uh, early downs as a run stopper. It's going to help the Giants uh, in the first few weeks. Derrick Henry, Christian McCaffrey, Zeke Elliott, Tony Pollard. So um, hopefully he does w- at least half of what he did in the preseason, but obviously it's going to be a whole thing of rotating linebackers on the inside. Um, one thing also Giants fans were confused about is that Quincy Roche was cut. Now he is on the practice squad, but O'Shane Zimenez is on the active roster. Uh, from what I see, Roche sets the edge in the running game and has more of a pass rushing skill set. What do you think led the Giants to keep Zimenez over Roche? Well, see, I would disagree with the pass rushing skill set. I don't think there's any doubt that Zimenez has more of that than Roche does. Much more athletic, uh, has some more length. Uh, He has more upside as a pure pass rusher. As an all-around player, right now, Roche uh, brings more to the table as an all-around player. And certainly in holding the edge and playing against the run. It was my opinion that both would make the 53, okay? I thought that. I didn't think Calitro was going to stick. I thought that Roche and Zimenez would both make it. So I was very pleased to see Roche come back to the practice squad. And depending upon what happens with Ojolari and Thibodeau this weekend against Tennessee, you might even see Roche activated for that game. So, and you know, clearly his run-stopping skills could be used to their advantage. Especially if you don't have Aziz Ojolari, Kayvon Tibbs, or even both yeah. of them. And, um, and let me say this about Zimenez. The body of work that he's put on tape to this point with the Giants has been rather nondescript. But he had a very good month of August at training camp, and he showed better in the preseason games than I think anybody thought he would. He did have a couple of, of penalties that I know he wished he had back, but he, he's, he has shown a new life under Wink Martindale. And he's had a few years in this league. We know we had to make a big jump coming out of Old Dominion. And the Giants told us when they drafted him, he was a project that he was going to take time. Maybe this is the year with the new system with Mick Martindale that O'Shane Zimenez actually gives them a little bit more than what he has shown in the past. I know he feels that way. And it looks like Martindale feels like there's a role for him. Now, to go off of that, because you bring some interesting points up, obviously he didn't get much production in the Graham system, and obviously his rookie year he put up four and a half sacks. Just going off of what Wink Martindale did with you know fringe linebackers, Tyus Bowser and all the other guys, do you think he fits this system the best out of what he's been in through the NFL? Well, the thing about Wink, okay, Wink is going to come at you from all different positions. Uh, I, I like to say that, His front seven people are positionless. To some degree, 
He also does it with his corners and his safeties, the way he will send them in the box and on the line of scrimmage and sending them on blitz packages. You will see nobody with their hand down on the front. You'll see one, two, three, four. Heck, wouldn't shock me if you even see some plays where there's five guys with their hands down. That's how that's how multiple Wink Martindale is. Much, much contrasting from Patrick Graham, who liked to mix things up in the secondary. Wink is a specialist at mixing things up in the front seven. Now, with that bit of confusion and with the speed and athleticism components becoming very important to him, because that's what it's all about, okay? When he's using speed and athleticism to be able to move guys around into different spots, saying that they're going to get there quick enough out of the spots that I'm putting them in to disrupt your offense. That, to me, is probably a little more conducive to Zimenez producing than what we've seen in the past because he definitely had trouble. His power quotient was not where it needed to be, and his run run play recognition was not where it needed to be. And that's why teams took advantage of him in the run game. I think this system does fit him better. Talking still about the uh, linebacker position, one of the guys that surprised me in terms of making the roster, Tamon Fox, the only UDFA. What do you think the coaching uh, coaching staff saw from him in camp that was enough to make the final 53 over some other guys? Interesting. When he was at North Carolina, he wound up being my pick for the undrafted rookie free agent sleeper to make the team. A lot of people thought Yusef Corker out of Kentucky, a draftable player, would make it. I always had my eye on Fox. I thought he was a really good sleeper. This is a guy who has all the measurables, okay? At North Carolina, his motor ran hot and cold. Quite honestly, there were times where he was just invisible on the field. And then there were other times where he made plays and you said, wow, he has a skill set. He has toolboxes, a toolbox and tools in it that can make him a very productive player. I think the Giants simply looked at the toolbox and said, okay, let's see if maybe when he matures and he gets here, we'll worry about the motor later. The guy's got physical tools that are are pretty impressive. So he gets here to camp, and early on, to be honest with you, I thought he was very quiet. I didn't necessarily see a lot of impact. But as the preseason wore on over the last couple of weeks, he started doing things. And, of course, remember, Ojolari was out. So during practice, you had Thibodeau out and Ojolari out. And now Fox was getting kind of more snaps and more reps. To his credit, he took advantage of them and started showing out more consistently. When he saw the opportunity, he seized it. And this coaching staff is very, very big on earning your way through your daily practice reps. They saw it. They rewarded him. They're giving him a chance. I don't know that he should be comfortable because, as we both know, the roster, especially the back of the 53, can be very fluid. So I don't know that he's cemented in there. But what I do know is, until he proves otherwise, uh, he'll be there and they'll give him a chance. And at some point when he does get on the field in a jersey, and it may not even be for some weeks, who knows? But when he does, If he has a hot motor, 
and does show you what he showed the coaches the last couple of weeks of August, uh, the Giants will be pretty pleased. He definitely has some tools. Remember, his last year at Carolina, I think he had like nine sacks. You know, he, he, he definitely produced at a much higher level. Very good points there. You remember the hit he had on special teams, by the way, at, yes. the, at the Meadowlands at the end of that game. Yep. I mean, he, when, when the motor's running, he's, he's a player. Very hot motor at that. Hopefully it shows up in some games. And not like anyone should have any like big expectations for him. He's an undrafted free agent, and he's the only right. one that made the team. So, And he's got a bunch of guys ahead of him. So uh, we'll see what we get from him this season, of course. Um, transitioning a little bit to the offensive side of the ball, and this has been my question for the last few weeks. Um, what's the left guard spot looking like for week one? Is it Devery Hamilton? Is Josh Azudu healthy? Is Ben Bredesen healthy? I mean, what's the story with that position right now? Well, as we tape this program on Monday afternoon, the Giants had a walkthrough today that was closed to the media. They will have full practices on Tuesday and Wednesday. They'll be off Thursday and have a full practice on Friday. It may be, and Brian Dable mentioned this earlier during his press briefing, and I don't think he's trying to lie. I really think that they don't know. I think they're going to let practice play out this week and figure out the guy who earns the spot against Tennessee is going to be the guy. They've got options, okay, whether it's a Zudu who's missed a lot of practice time during August, but they like his talent a lot. I think it may be a, a much to ask of him to go up against the Titans right off the bat. But but they certainly like him a lot. Uh, they obviously could go to Bredesen, who had an a, a elbow injury a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if he's going to be able to practice this week, but he's certainly a guy they would look at. Max Garcia has been here now all offseason. He's certainly an experienced guard and center in this league, so that would be an option. You talked about Devery Hamilton. Played two games in the preseason at guard against second and third teamers and did very well. The last preseason game when he played tackle against the Jets, not so well. Um, so I don't I, I don't know how to grade him because he didn't play any first teamers when he was playing guard. And you're going up against a very stout Titans defensive front. You might be unpleasantly surprised if you throw him in there. That's that's a little risky, but maybe that's the call. And then, of course, there's also Jack Anderson. Now, he's been here for about uh, several days. Get him off waivers from the Eagles. Eagles have a very good offensive line, so that's no knock. And remember, he came into the league out of Texas Tech with the Buffalo Bills. That should ring a bell for you. Bobby Johnson, Brian Dayball, Joe Shane, all Buffalo Bills. So they know Anderson. He knows the system. He was with Buffalo originally out of Texas Tech. Again, he was a pass-protecting guard, obviously, with the Red Raiders. That's what they do. Uh, was not known as a run blocker, but was known as a ferocious and nasty pass blocker. So he would know the system. Can he get coached up in a week to potentially be the starter against the Titans? Something in the back of my head is telling me he's the dark horse here. I don't know that it's going to be him, but I would not discount him. I think Dable's probably going to make that decision by Friday. I, I don't think he really knows right now. I, I really believe he's going to want practice to play out. 
Yeah, a lot of good points there, as you mentioned with Jack Anderson with the Bills. And uh, well, based on what you're telling me, Paul, he could be what Pop, what Bobby Johnson calls a dirtbag, like a, a tough, gritty guy. Yes, yes. Um, it was well, his surprising. nickname at Texas Tech was Little Richie. Okay, they Incognito, called him that yep. because they named him after Richie Incognito, who was one of the nastiest dirtbag pitbull offensive linemen you'd ever want to come across. And that was the demeanor that he had in pass protection. So you're right. He is a Bobby Johnson kind of guy. Dable said when they picked him up off waivers from Philly that they were not happy in Buffalo when Philly stole him. They were trying to pass him through the practice squad, you know, the previous year. And the Eagles stole him. Well, now Dable was able to steal him back. Guess a little bit of payback right there. Um, but in terms of Anderson, I could see why he think he's the dark horse to kind of start in week one. I know I think he's had a little bit of NFL experience, but you look at what the Giants did a little bit last year. Um, Shane Lemieux obviously started at left guard for the Broncos game. And then Ben Bredesen, who was just traded for like a week, week and a half before they threw him in and, you know, he played, they did whatever. And obviously they lost the game. It wasn't necessarily because of the offensive line. Um, but the thing to worry with Devery Hamilton, not just because, you know, you once again, bring up good points about him playing against the twos and threes, didn't really play good at tackle. Uh, but also he hasn't played NFL games yet. And that's what I'm a little worried about. So it's not necessarily, uh, a win-it-all situation, you might kind of have to go with the best, I guess, you know, what's going on in practice. And just a question coming off this left guard conversation, do you think at all the Giants are done with Lemieux if he doesn't show anything this year or because of what the Buffalo guys that came here, uh, they I heard they liked him in 2020 before the draft. Do you think they he did. gets another year here? Or what's what do you think? I know it's way too well, early Well, again, Shane Lemieux coming out of Oregon had the reputation of being one of those pit bulls, a dirtbag, if you will. He's a Bobby Johnson kind of player. That's what he was with the Ducks. Is it any wonder that the Bills people liked him? <laughs> I mean, really, it makes perfect sense. So, no, I, I don't if, – if Shane Lemieux, I expect him to be ready by midseason. Okay? I, I do think there's a, there's a chance that we will see him again at some point during the year. Um, but the question becomes, you know, is there going to be a spot for him or does he just become a backup at that point? I don't know. But but I, I no, I would not give up on Shane Lemieux and I wouldn't give up on Matthew Parrott and I wouldn't give up on Nick Gates. I, I think Nick Gates will be back by the middle of this season as well in terms of being on uh, available to be activated off PUP. Next question, shifting back to the defense. Uh, this is probably one of the more less positions that are talked about, but it's just something that I picked up on. It seemed that Jalen Holmes stood more of a chance in camp than any of the other really uh, interior defensive linemen other than Justin Ellis in terms of the first team. Because when Dexter was out, when Leo was out, he was playing some of those interior defensive linemen snaps. Then it seemed over the last two weeks of the preseason in terms of games, Nick Williams came and stole that. So. Absolutely. What, what kind of happened there? Because I know, obviously, Jalen Holmes was a little bit familiar with Andre Patterson and his scheme back in uh, Minnesota was. Nick Williams, if you'll recall, had a pretty nice season a couple of years ago as a defensive tackle with the Bears. And subsequent to that, his production kind of went down again. But his ability to play on the end 
and as well as playing one of the DT spots. I think that they saw his versatility and the way he came on and his arrow was going up as training camp continued. I think that's what gave him the spot. I had Nick Williams making the team, but I had Holmes making the team over Jelly Ellis because I thought that Holmes' versatility over Ellis might be something that would give him the advantage over the other veteran linemen. As it turned out, they didn't see it that way, and they kept Jelly Ellis. But, um, yeah, I, I, I thought Holmes did some good things, but I don't think there's any doubt that Nick Williams earned his way onto this roster by what he did the last couple of weeks of camp. Based on what you've seen in the last few weeks, still sticking to the defensive side, by the way, um, originally they didn't pick up – well, actually, no, they kept originally three safeties on the roster before they moved to the waiver wire and Zion Tony Jefferson – what is it looking like for Dane Belton right now? Obviously, he's doing better with the trainers, though the Brooklyn collarbone. They also signed Tony Jefferson, as I mentioned, the practice squad, and then claimed and Jason Pinnock for insurance right. at the veteran safety spot. So what what is it looking like right now in terms of you know, the status for Dane Belton? Well, well, Belton has been working out with in practice with the other players wearing the red jersey, which is no contact, as you know. That's what the quarterbacks always wear. So – He's, he's in the red jersey, but he is out there at practice doing as much as he can do without contact. We will see when that red jersey comes off. When it does, obviously, you know, he's going to be practicing for real, and they'll ramp him up, and they'll try to get him ready for a game. I, I, I don't think he's far away. But, again, they've picked up two veteran safeties in the last week as an insurance policy, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, heck. Wouldn't you do the same if you were the Giants? The one thing about Belton is that he's going to be a special teams dynamo. Even if at the beginning they decide, you know what, let's give you a small bite and just bring you back on special teams. That in itself would be valuable. Even if they decide to keep one of the veterans as the third safety and, and Belton's role is just limited. Uh, it, there's nothing wrong with that. Again, the more good players you have, the better. Definitely some good points there. Um, so, got two more questions. The Giants claimed five waiver players uh, Jason Pinnock, Tyree Phillips, Jack Anderson, Nick McLeod, and Justin Lane. Um, what stands out to you about any of those players, and which do you think will get the most uh, playing time, and you know, which players will have the most impact. I know Jason Pinnock obviously comes to mind. Yeah. Uh, because of yeah. his play in the last year with the Jets. Yeah, he's he's the obvious one. Um, you know, a draftable player who the Bills folks obviously know something about since they played in the same division as the Jets. A guy who's good on really good on specials and can obviously play some safety in the league. So uh I, I would expect that he's got a chance to do something, although I think Jefferson, because of his stature with the Ravens and Wink Martindale, might have a better chance of doing more. Maybe maybe he's going to move ahead of, of Pinnock. Uh, I don't know for sure. I think that'll be a competition between those two guys as to who's ahead of who on the depth chart. But you'd have to think that that's, that's one name that's going to make somewhat of an impact from that group. And then uh, I think what I just said to you before about uh, Jack Anderson, um, I I just they talk too highly of him 
coming out of Texas Tech, even though he wasn't drafted, the Bills people who had him when he first came out of school, they speak very, very highly of him. I just, something tells me that that guy's going to be heard from at some point during the season. If not right away, at some point during the season, it would not shock me if if he winds up becoming one of those guys who comes in as an extra lineman and maybe as a fullback in short yardage or goal line or something like that. They, they just seem to like him too much for me to push him to the side as an also ran. And then final question, you touched a little bit upon this earlier. Um, what are the statuses of Matt Parrott and Nick Gates? Now, I personally don't expect anything from Nick Gates this season, and I think – Oh, that would be a mistake. That would be a mistake. Nick Nick Gates is, is going to make it back. I guarantee you. He will make okay. it back, and he will be available to them. Now, will they need him? Who knows? Maybe the offensive line is going to be in such great shape that they don't need to activate him. But I believe that Nick Gates will be activated at some point by the middle of this season and, and available to them as a backup center and or guard. I, I do believe that. Maybe they'll be in such great shape that they'll decide that they don't need him because he's on pup. Him and Parrott are both on pup, so they can come off and be activated at any time. There's no restrictions on those two guys. All I will say is uh, don't count out Nick Gates. I think, you know, Richie Soybert came back from a very, very similar injury, and people counted him out, and he came back and started and won a Super Bowl for this team. Don't count out Nick Gates. And then um, Matt Pear, I know obviously he hasn't – well, I mean, just, just to put it right down there, uh, the Giants well, don't necessarily – you know, It's a knee, and they yeah. drafted Evan Neal. So right now, Matt Paird comes back, and he's looking at being the third tackle. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. He's not going to take Neal's spot. Yeah, he's not going to take course. Thomas's spot, right? Of course. So if he makes it, if he makes it back, and he's progressing very well too, wouldn't shock me if by the end of October he's eligible to be activated because he's getting clearance from the medical staff. But again, I'm thinking third tackle for him. Would they try him at guard? I don't think he's a guard. I think he's better off at tackle. So I, I think unless something happens to one of those two young condominiums on the edges, I think Parrott is looking at being the third tackle at now, some point. Now, obviously, there probably will be injuries to this offensive line. There will be injuries probably don't everywhere. Don't say that. Well, I, I don't want to jinx it, Paul, but I'm just <laughs> saying um, let's just – we're going to play pretend for 30 seconds and say what if there are no injuries. Do you think that Matt Parrott – if he comes back and when he comes back, do you think he takes a guy's spot like Devery Hamilton, for example? And I obviously, you know, you know, said you said that he's going to be the backup tackle where we have a lot of guard depth on this roster, like Jack Anderson right. and Tyree Phillips already. And, you know, Devery Hamilton, yeah, he can play both, but he doesn't necessarily have NFL experience compared to the rest of the guys. Do you think that guy? I didn't like, yeah, I didn't like Hamilton at, at tackle. In the preseason game against the Jets, I thought he struggled. I didn't, I didn't like him out there. I think he's much better off at guard. So in my mind, yeah, they could really use Matthew Parrott to come back and be that third tackle, that swing tackle. I I think that that right now you could honestly say that's a need, okay, much more than the, the guard spot because they've got a lot of guys, a lot of options. I mean, they even took Wyatt Davis the other day. You saw from Ohio State. They just picked him up the other day. He's a project. But – you know, they just picked him up. So they got they got a lot of beef 
on the inside, they don't really have depth at the tackle spot. I mean, you're looking at a guy like Holden, guy like Hamilton, Matthew Parrott. Let's not kid ourselves. Matthew Parrott was a third round draft pick. He better be good enough to be the third tackle. Yeah. And I mean, I personally thought he should have started over Solder at different points last year, but that's another thing that's last year. Did it surprise you a little bit that Roy and Beteka did not stay with the team? Because I thought they were going to develop him, at least leave him on the practice squad. I think you will see him bounce around on the practice squad uh, every other week or something of that nature. I think he'll be here, then he'll be gone. He'll be here, he'll be gone. I do think they're going to want to work with him. He wants to be with the Giants. OCU Manura basically placed him here. I don't think any other team is going to try to uproot this guy because he's already – you know, someone who is very, very green. He's just trying to grow into the sport and into his position. I think everybody understands exactly where he's at. And it doesn't make sense to uproot him and to bring him into a new situation. So I don't think you have to worry about him signing anywhere. The question will be how many weeks during the course of the fall and winter will he be on the Giants practice squad to get that tutelage? Because I do expect that uh, he's only a phone call away, and I think we will see him again. Well, be sure to like, comment, subscribe, everybody. Five stars on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social media. Do all the good stuff. Paul, I enjoyed this conversation, as I always do, for the past three years. Um, great conversation overall, my friend. Good to be with you, as always. Stay well and do enjoy the season.